I'm Steve Smutko. I'm one of your facilitators in Leadership Wyoming and also a professor in the Hobbs School of Environment and Natural Resources. So this briefing will focus primarily on the crossroads we face as a state with declining demand and declining prices for our three large, largest minerals we, ex, we export, coal, oil, and natural gas. And you're gonna hear quite a bit about state revenues received from these resources, as well as the forecast options for the future. As you listen to these speakers, I want you to keep in, keep in mind the PROACT model that we've introduced earlier for solving problems. P for defining the problem, O for specifying objectives, those things that, we are, that are important to us and we know to be true. A for the alternatives available to us, C for the consequences of choosing any particular alternative, and T for the trade-offs we have to make. Think about how would you define the problem? Can you hear our speakers talk about what's important to them, their objectives? Uh, you'll hear a lot about our alternatives, the choices we face, and the consequences of going down one path or another. What are the trade-offs that we have to make as we move to the future? Which of these challenges have a technical solution? And which will require an adaptive solution? I'm Travis Detai, Executive Director of the Wyoming Mining Association. Mineral production is one of the reasons why we're here as a state. Um, we're, uh, you look at the great state seal of Wyoming, it's got the miner that's on there. Uh, when Delegate Joseph Carey was lobbying for statehood back in the 19th century, uh, one of the reasons he, uh, he used for statehood for Wyoming was our vast mineral resources. That's a quote. When you look at our tax structure right now, uh, extraction has paid a bulk of the bills uh, for our entire existence as a state. And I'll speak specifically to coal first. You know, we've gone uh, basically in the last five years uh, from the coal industry contributing uh, upwards of $1.2 billion a year into the state coffers uh, to about half that. And that's where we are today. So when you look at the impact that extraction has on communities in the state of Wyoming, you have communities that are directly impacted. In Gillette, about 500 mining jobs have been lost. Uh, that has a ripple effect in the community. The tough part of it is, is that um, almost every solution still impacts minerals, whether it's an increase in the sales tax, whether it's an increase in property tax or a mill levy. Uh, the brunt of those increases are borne by the mineral industry, which at this point in time is stressed to the breaking point. And so, uh, you know, it's tough to be a state legislator and it's gonna be even tougher in the next session. Hi, this is Kale Case. I'm a, a state senator from Lander, Wyoming, and I'm chairman of the Senate Revenue Committee. So I think, you know, one important thing with respect to our mineral downturn is that we're all experiencing and I think you know pretty much everybody agrees on the numbers of the downturn and the likelihood that it will continue but but there is some policy discussions about how we uh, encourage mineral companies to move forward you know we've seen companies go out of business we've seen uh, no more rigs in Wyoming and really it's a COVID driven thing the coal and gas declines coal is purely environmental and, and with market factors. Natural gas's decline has been 100% market factors and technology driven. We just don't have a monopoly on gas anymore. Oil though comes down to being really COVID related. And it'll be a two-edged sword because uh, you know we do have good things in Wyoming that make people wanna come here and, and uh, drill for oil. But it's 
kind of a tough side too, especially in this price environment. And if you expect that uh, COVID is gonna have significant changes to the way people behave in the next couple of years, that's not a very good thing for uh, petroleum to be you know, kind of blunt about this. Um, we won't have as much jet travel, we won't have as much commuting, and, and that is gonna depress prices. These companies can take their business elsewhere. They can drill in all sorts of places, North Dakota, Nigeria, and uh, the capital's very mobile. How do we keep them here, and should we be worried about that? And the question has come up, and the policy has been advanced, that we should actually provide them with tax breaks to encourage them to at least keep a foot in Wyoming or perhaps expand their business. It's definitely something that we should talk about, but so far the data that we have is that those breaks don't work very well. And we have a uh, study that we did in the 1990s that clearly said, you know, oil exploration and production is really driven by prices and expectations about future prices. We're kind of in negotiations, we're partners, we have in our partners have an incentive to reduce taxes because it does improve their bottom line, but it won't change their amount of exploration on the ground. So Wyoming, uh, one of our other partners in this whole thing is the federal government. And uh, uh, when minerals are produced that belong to the federal government, the federal government shares the royalties with us. And I believe the Wyoming gets 48%, at least it kind of works out to be 48%. So it's kind of like we're almost 50-50 partners with the federal government. When they grant royalty relief, they reduce our share proportionally. And you know, it's just, it might be worth a second to talk about the policies with respect to drilling on federal lands and producing federal minerals. You know, a lot of times the, the surface might be owned by the state of Wyoming or privately owned, but the minerals could uh, be owned by the federal government. Well, you know, the, the world is changing. It's changing in very big ways. So we've seen it with respect to shifts in environmental and coal and, and things. And it is very conceivable, um, you know, in this struggle we have in the country right now about which way we're going to go, it is, it is con more conceivable than ever that people may decide that make policy that they don't want to produce these carbon-based minerals that the federal government owns. It's not a sure thing that Wyoming is going to be able to enjoy a big string of production and revenues from oil and gas production on federal lands or, or lands that have federal minerals. It's just not clear at all. My name is Erin Campbell. I'm the Wyoming State Geologist and Director of the Wyoming State Geological Survey, and I am a member of the CRAG Group, the Consensus Revenue Estimating Group. I wanted to talk a little bit about the CRAG process, and you may hear about the CRAG report that comes out in October and then one that comes out again in January, and if it's a challenging year, there'll be an update in the middle of the year, which we did have this year in 2020. There are nine of us that vote and probably another 10 or 20 people that contribute information. So we bring numbers on coal, oil, gas, trona, uranium, and um, other mineral minerals like bentonite. We look at the past production and we try to forecast the production for the next six years, which is a little challenging. Um, we also bring information on price. In the past, it has ranked oil, 
then coal, then gas. This year, we saw a really big decline in oil and gas. And oil is probably our top income producer for mineral revenue. So last year at this time, we had 33 rigs drilling, and this year we have one rig. What happens with these wells, uh, especially the kind of wells they're drilling now, the unconventional wells, is they have very high production early on. In the first two years, they're producing a lot, and then that drops off quickly after about three to five years. Probably continue to see a decline in oil production um, until it becomes economic for them to start drilling wells again. And that point when it becomes economic is when oil is at about $45 per barrel. And it looks like oil is going to be in the 30s for in the $30 range for quite some time, at least the next year. In terms of coal this year, um, between January and April, we saw an 18% decline in coal production. And coal, we've had declining at a rate between 2% and 9% over the last um, several years. And the decline in coal production and coal demand is generally related to the low price of gas, of natural gas. So in Craig, in the past, we've been fairly successful at predicting and forecasting price and production and anticipating what the revenue will be for the state. In fact, we're usually within 5%, which is extremely good. 2020, all bets are off. Um, we had to revise our estimates in May. We did another check-in in July. The numbers we come up with in October are probably going to be completely different. It's been a really challenging time because none of, none of the things that we considered in the past were things that we're considering now. Um, the biggest issue will be how quickly will things return to normal in terms of COVID? When are people traveling? When are they going back to their offices? When are jobs coming back online? those things are really going to have an effect on our ability to forecast. And right now we have serious reservations as to the accuracy of our forecast, but we're doing the best we can because we have to come up with something. Hi, everybody. I'm Rob Godby. I'm the acting associate dean of the Hobbs School at the University of Wyoming. I also serve as uh, one of the members of the Consensus Revenue Estimating Group. In May, we forecasted about a $1.5 billion deficit, about a billion dollars in our general fund, about 500 million to education. Um, that has improved slightly um, with the combination of higher revenues than we anticipated from things like tourism. We had actually a pretty good tourism year, all things considered. Um, and with the cuts have already been made, we've cut about $250 million from our budget, which has been really significant. Um, we might be somewhere in the 750 to 500 million dollar deficit range now in our general fund. Education forecast hasn't changed very much. So we're still probably looking at somewhere close to a billion dollar deficit moving forward, which means we have a lot to think about. Um, in this state, a typical resident, this is an often quoted uh, number, but a typical resident, take a family of three in Casper, pays a little over $3,000 in taxes and consumes about $27,000 in public services, including the education and health services that they might use, as well as just general public services. 
And so the question is, where can we raise additional revenues or do we just have to downsize the public services we've been used to? How can we deal with this? Well, first of all, I think the state has to come to terms with the fact that our fossil fuel dependence will have to come to an end. We are still going to be dependent to a degree on fossil fuels for quite a while, but we won't be able to depend on them in the way that we've depended over the past, you know, say 50 years. That's even before we consider things like climate change and the potential need to reduce fossil fuel use due to CO2 emissions. So short, medium, and long-term, we're under major threat. So I don't know that we can really double down on any of our fossil fuels. I mean, we could hope for a change, but you know, realistically, short of some major change occurring, it's not likely to help us. Really, what we're looking at is a long-term structural deficit that requires two things, uh, a change in how we make our living in Wyoming, which means you know, diversifying the economy, which is easily said, very hard to do. This is a, a generational change. We need to start now, but we won't see the benefits for this for 30, 40, maybe even 50 years. Um, the last and the trickiest question is really, where, how, are, we go, are we willing to tax ourselves? And if so, how much? And if so, how? I'm Senator Chris Rothfuss. I'm the Senate Minority Leader of the Wyoming Legislature. When I joined the legislature, I, I ended up on both the Education Committee and the Minerals Committee uh, my first year, and I've been on both of those committees ever since. And uh, my good friend Hank Coe, Senator Hank Coe, uh, he always said, you're on the committee that brings in all the money, the Minerals Committee, and you're in the committee that spends all the money, the Education Committee. And there's a lot of truth to that. And as we see the decline in revenue over the last few years, it has constrained more and more the amount of money we've been able to spend on education. There really are only two paths ahead. One is that we increase revenue and we maintain our excellence in education. The other is that we see the continued decline in revenue and we end up with a mediocre K-12 education system. Can't have it both ways. I think one of the challenges that we've had over the years is the fact that we have had such low taxes that everyone has grown used to the idea that that's sustainable. And everyone believes that they're paying their share because that's what they've always paid. Now, I have four kids. Uh, each of them is going to attend the K-12 education system for 13 years. Uh, each of those kids then represents about a quarter of a million dollars of education right there. So I'm up to a million dollars already on the services from the state. And I haven't even included the roads that get them to school or anything else that, that we rely upon. So it's impossible for me to individually then eventually pay that million dollar tab, uh, but it's reasonable for me to pay some portion of that tab and, and to try and figure out what is the fair responsibility that doesn't put an undue burden on me as a citizen individually. The very best thing we could do is a one-time comprehensive tax overhaul for the state that very thoughtfully looks at every facet of taxation, figures out what is that reasonable and rational level so that we are not prohibitive or exclusive. But you see as an indication, and states look at this, excuse me, corporations look at this kind of thing when they're considering states, 
the state's credit rating is tanking, right? It's slowly being eroded away. Companies know that too. And they're not going to be investing in Wyoming if we don't have a state that's going to survive five years or 10 years. Hi, this is Kale Case. Then the question is, what can Wyoming do? And it's, you know, it's going to be, have to be a combination of things. We need a lot of different improvements in our revenue streams to even begin to sustain government at even something much less than it is now. I mean, it's, it's astounding. We could, we could lay off all the employees and we still wouldn't have enough money to be sustainable on a going forward basis where our revenues matched our needs. So it's going to take cuts, but it's also going to take a lot of different things. There's also just some huge things that we're missing. We're one of the few states, very few states, down to like two states that don't have some form of a tax on corporate income. Uh, you know, they're retail outlets or things that, that basically collect a lot of money from Wyoming, but pay very few taxes really like to see us think about uh, an income tax on large corporations, which would be something like 100 shareholders or more. Um, we're going to have to tweak our property taxes. We'll probably have to tweak our sales taxes. In terms of um, funding our highways, we are looking at uh, increase in fuel taxes. There's a I would like to see us to really explore tolling I-80. Uh, Department of Transportation is looking at another uh, sort of a, a vehicle miles travel type of tax. Uh, and either way, those taxes could probably be established where local traffic in Wyoming and especially passenger cars would bear very little burden. Those are small pieces of this. Uh, I do think we need to talk more about wind taxes because I think that could be a very significant revenue stream in the future. And there's some tax reform needed in that area. I'm Rob Godby. Really, I think what it comes down to is our values. And this goes back to what we really want to preserve in Wyoming and what we really feel we should invest in. If the conversation is just about raising taxes, it's not going to be very successful because automatically people just resist it. If we talk about what we're willing to invest in, I think we might get more traction. And I really believe that that has to start not at a statewide level, but at a community level. I think we have to kind of come to consensus in each community. What is it about our community that matters? Nothing will happen quickly. We need to start right away talking about this stuff, but this is going to be our generations and the next generation's challenge. It won't be over in five years or 10 years. Once we start talking like that, we're probably going to find out we have a ton of agreement. And once you have that base of agreement, then you can start talking about, well, now how can we move forward taking care of each other? And that's kind of how I hope, you know, granted, it probably sounds pretty naive in this current political environment, but you know, if, if we could achieve that, we would be a long way down the road to building the kind of Wyoming that we want. So as we prepare for our Gillette session, I want you to think about how our history and values shaped this moment and the decisions that we're facing. So when we think about our natural resources and the central role they play in our culture and our economy, what are the things that are near and dear to us? What should we state as our objectives as a state? What do we hold to, what do we know to be true? What do we want for us and our children and generations to come? We have to ask these questions and answer them before we can chart a course for our future. I'll see you in Gillette. The Leading in Wyoming podcast is brought to you by the Wyoming Community Foundation 
and the Dragicevich Foundation. Thank you for your support.